episode eight of the Night Talks podcast. My very special guest today is my dad, or Jeff, also known as. Say hello. Hello, everyone. <laughs> how, how are you going? I'm doing very well. I'm, I'm very unsure as to how this will go. I think you'll embarrass me a little bit, but it's good to have you here. Uh, how's the travel over from Inverloch? Been very good. It was sunny out in Inverloch, but now it's got cloudy here. It was sunny here all day, and then it's just turned, so... We'll start off how we start off most episodes um, with wondering what you're watching on Netflix. Are you watching Squid Games? <laughs> uh, no, that, that doesn't look interesting enough for me. We're watching a, a series called Blind Spot, which is about a woman who was found in Times Square in New York, and she's naked and she's covered in all of these tattoos. Okay, and it's all about unraveling what the tattoos mean. And more and more tattoos get revealed each episode, and she's working for the FBI, and there's all these really strange so who's, twists. Whose idea was it to watch that? Yours or Mum's? <laughs> I don't think that's something Mum would have chosen. Um, it got recommended by a friend, so we watched the first episode, and then we got hooked on it. Yeah, because cool. there's there's a lot of science in it. There's actually a lot of history. A lot of computer stuff right. that's going on. A lot of fascinating stuff. And lots of um, geopolitical stuff around the world and how it's all connected and how big business goes about things. Yeah. And so how many, how many seasons are there in that? We're finished watching season three, so we're up to about episode 70 now. Of how many, do you know? I think it's 100 and something. Well, still got a bit. Lucky you're retired, so you don't have much else to do. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so I thought it'd be a really good chance to get you on today, firstly because you're my dad, and last couple episodes I've sort of spoken about um, a few tips and advice that you've given me over over the years, but um, I sort of wanted to share your story because from my perspective, you've done pretty much everything there is to do uh, in teaching, and you've been teaching for 40 plus years, did I get that right? It was or you were just over forty yep. years, yeah. Yep. So I, I know your first answer, but how how did you get into teaching? Um, do you want to talk us through what you call teachers' college way back when? Well, it was basically I got into um, teaching by accident. Oh, okay. Um, all the way through high school, I was a really good student until year twelve. And I don't know what happened, but I just couldn't gel with a lot of my teachers. So my my results were not fantastic. Okay. And at that stage, when you got your result, it was actually you got them on a piece of paper and it listed all of the courses that your marks could get you into. Okay. And one of them was uh, the Footscray Institute of Technology. So I started off doing... About five to six weeks of town planning. Town planning. Yeah, and I found that interesting of yeah. how they actually do things. But then one of the young ladies that was in the course with me, she ended up telling me that she got into Melbourne Teachers College. Okay. And I said, well, who did you talk to? So then I uh, went and had an interview with, I think it was the vice principal of that college. And then... Um, they said they were full, and then she said, oh, I should try Frankston. So I ended up going to Frankston. Up until that stage, they were called teachers' colleges mm-hmm. because the education department controlled how many people could actually go into them. And to go into them, you had to get a scholarship. Well, my marks being so poor, I didn't get a scholarship. <laughs> but that was the first year 
the universities, uh, the teachers' colleges became autonomous. So it was got called a state college okay. of Victoria at Frankston. And they had things called private students. So I went in as a private student, which would basically be what most people do today. Yeah. And then at the end of the first year, I got a studentship. And in those days, if you got a studentship, you were bonded to the education department for three years and they could send you to any school, oh, the, yeah. any school yeah. in the state. So, um, yeah, I got in, got in by accident, but I look back at it now and it was probably meant to be because at State College, that's where I met your mother and that's yeah. why you're, yes. you're here. <laughs> so let's go back to um, before you started Teachers College. What were your, do you remember what you were thinking back then? Like, were you excited about teaching or was it like, like you said you got into it by accident, but were you excited by the prospect of teaching or were you just sort of doing it to do something and sort of just seeing how it panned out? To me, it sounded attractive. It sounded more attractive being a town planner. And it gave me that idea that you could be anywhere around the state. Yeah. Whereas town planning was more a, a Melbourne-based yeah. thing at that stage, because we're talking a long time ago now, and things were a little bit different than what's that like mid mid seventies, maybe early seventies. That would have. Uh, I got into teachers' college in nineteen seventy-four. Yeah. So yeah. Is that straight out of school? S- straight out of high school, and okay. and at that era, if you're a female, your choices were basically you can work in a yeah. bank, work in a shop become a mother, become a nurse, or become a teacher. So there was a lot of things and um, that weren't available yep. that are available today. So Were there many males going into teachers' college or was it sort of like how it is today where it's a predominantly female or there's a lot more females? Well, in, the, you know. I went to, um, it was a primary, if you like, teachers' college. Yep. And most of them were female. But there was a um, state college at Rusden, which I believe is part of Monash, and one of the courses there was like a specialised phys ed course. Okay. And the majority of the people there, and that set that was secondary, they were they were male. So it's it was quite different. Yeah. So it was what what did you major in? Did you major in something? Was it or was well, it a completely different sort of setup to how it is how uni is these days? If you, if you looked at my body shape, you'd be very surprised <laughs> that I actually majored in phys ed because yeah. I really enjoyed what they, they did there. And you had to major in um, education. Yeah. That, that was a given. But I sub-majored in, in maths. I can't remember the other one. Memory's gone. <laughs> Too long ago. Yeah. How, how long was Teachers College? Is it Was it... So yeah. unis these, these days are four, three to four, uh, four years. Yeah. Was it... Well, when we went in, it was, um, if you're doing primary, it was three years and you came out with a diploma. Then what you had to do, and when you worked for the education department, they call that Certificate B. We had a thing called the Teachers Registration Board, which you didn't have to pay any money to. Yeah. And you got, you got Certificate <laughs> Sometimes B. Sometimes I don't yeah. pay. <laughs> you got Certificate B. But then if you wanted to go up the ladder, you had to go and do an extra year of study study to get Certificate A. Okay. I went and did some extra study and got Certificate A, which meant you got more money. Yep. So then, so if you were essentially department property, for lack of a better term. The first three years, yes. When you finished Teachers College, does that mean you automatically got 
placed in a school or did you still have to apply for a job and go through all, well, all there, that? Well, there's two parts of that. If you got a, if you had a, if you were on a studentship, you were guaranteed a job. If you didn't have a studentship, it's like it now. You're not guaranteed of a yep. job. Um, some of the people we knew who wanted to stay local in the Frankston area, their first year they were what they call in excess. They were placed at a school because yeah. they had to be, uh, but their major duties might have been um, organising events or making sure the bins had the right numbers on them so they they didn't do much. Um, but they were qualified teachers. Qualified teachers. Okay. Your, your mum was placed at a school up north and she was in excess for the first year and she worked with small groups of kids. Okay. Um, was that common? Was it a common thing to become in excess? Um, depending on which area you went to. Yeah. Uh, I was put at a one teacher school with seven kids and they usually did that because I was male and unmarried. <laughs> and males and unmarried, they make really good head teachers. <laughs> Because they can play they footy and they yeah. can play cricket. <laughs> so where where was your first school? My first school was just out of Dimboola, a lovely little school called Catchell. Where's that? Victoria? Yes, yeah, it's on the way to Adelaide, if oh, you okay. like. So, but it was in the middle of the wheat fields. So they, it was a um, like a German heritage area. Yeah. And they, they were, most of the people were part of the Lutheran church and they all had... German surnames, and they'd been there for two or three generations. Yeah. So it was um, it was interesting. Do you have any first memories of that first job? Um, the it was only a small school ground. It was a one teacher school. Um, the memories were the uh, one of the good things. The toilets actually flushed, so that was great. <laughs> um, Do they have an out like a yeah the toilets are out toilet or yeah basically yeah. and. Uh, the first thing, and the kids used to rock up to school in bare feet. Oh, excellent. Which you wouldn't be allowed to do today, but that no. was the... The norm. The yeah. norm for that area, and they didn't live live too far away from the yeah. school, so... Yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah, so then, obviously, you have moved around a bit in those early stages, and then, from my childhood, I just remember you working at Churchill North. So, do you remember when you started at... What year did you start there? Churchill North, 1980. 80. So you moved around a few schools more like East Gippsland Way, yeah? No, probably around the, around the Tarelgan yeah. area. Uh, in those days, instead of positions being advertised, I'll, I'll just go back a bit. Um, when you first came out, you were in a temporary position very much like today. Yeah. And at the end of each year, you wrote to the education department and you put in a preference for it a temporary position in a certain area. And if you knew of a school that had a temporary position, you could actually ask for that. It didn't mean you got it. But you could put a preference in. You could put a yeah. preference in. So, um, yeah, so we went from being up north to just out of Tarelgan. And then I had another temporary position in Tarelgan. And then I applied and got a, a what they, in those days called a permanent position at Churchill North. Yeah. And you were at Churchill North for forever <laughs> you were I, there for ages i think i was there in two stints and yeah. i think it was 11 years or something yeah. like that yep so then i remember you first then moved to commercial road what was there a bit of a big difference between churchill north and commercial road back then it was different because they um the area i went to had prep one and two which they call junior primary units yeah 
but they really acted like a prep one too. And they just had a, a different philosophy of yeah. things. So I remember I spent a day in that classroom yeah. and coming from a school where it was like prep one or one, two, yeah. to see a classroom that was like prep one, two, I just thought that was bizarre. Was it a big class? From memory, it wasn't a huge class, yeah. um, but I found it was actually really interesting because you had to you had to pull on a lot more skills as a yeah. teacher to be able to work through those, those completely different levels because you probably got... I probably had um, kids who were like kinder. Yeah. To some of the kids in grade two were almost at a, a year four level. Yeah. So that, that was interesting. Yeah. And then I remember you came over to Churchill Primary where I was and I was in grade two and you were... I was in a straight grade two class from memory and you were in the prep one class mm. next, next door to me. And I always remember, I'd, I don't think I've ever told you this, but I used to think, oh, shit, he's going to be here watching my every move. I almost felt like you came to make sure I was doing doing my work. No, I went there on a um, promotion, which was called a leading, leading teacher position. Yeah. And I was in charge of the prep ones and twos because I had a reading recovery background and that was one of the things that the people who interviewed me was were looking at. And yep. um, I was also very much into science at that stage and they were also looking at building up their science program. So I think those two things might have tipped me over the line was there to get ever, a job. Was there ever the thought of, because I was at that school and I can't remember if Adam was still there or not. Yeah, I Adam think he might have been in grade six that yeah, he year was. you were there. Yeah, yeah. Was it ever a decision to not go there because your kids were there? Or no, because no? I knew Adam was leaving. And one of, one of the things was I was fairly confident I, can, I could split my attention yeah. to, okay, my job is to do this. And I used to say to the teachers, the two teachers involved, if you have any issues, talk to their mum. I'm here as a teacher. And, the soft one. <laughs> and, well, and a leader of this section. Yeah, like, yeah. And I had to do that to make it easier for the teachers, but also make it easier for you kids. But yeah. I know you had to still have to call me Mr. Curly. <laughs> yeah, that was a real shock. I remember you, I think you sat me down and said, you need to call me Mr. Curly, it's not in this damn business. <laughs> and yeah, and that's and that was all part of that, yeah. that, the, that the other students knew that you had a like a normal working relationship with this teacher, even yeah. though he's your dad. Yeah. Was there any, was there ever any like, situations of conflict of interest sort of with me because I I thinking about my schooling I wasn't the most studious student was there ever like situations where you felt conflicted I think the only only time I saw something was was at the end of the year and we had to write something about each of our class each of our members of the class yeah. to give to other teachers so they could split them up into different things and your teacher wrote something about you and I thought that doesn't sound like James <laughs> and I showed it to some other teachers and they went no no yeah. that's, that's not James so was it I remember as well I can't remember exactly if it was the next year but after that stint at Churchill Primary you then went to a position at regional office and you were saying you did the science in school stuff. And yeah. I remember just, that was just red. It was just red and black. Do you want to talk a bit about what this science in schools initiative was? If well, you remember. <laughs> I, I actually did um, what they call late. I did late for six months uh, when I was at Churchill. And then I did science in schools. It was federally funded. And what they were trying to do is 
if, if you like, in-service teachers by the school joining a program where they would get lots of professional development, where they'd be actually be given the resources yeah. and they would get access to someone like a project officer like, like me coming in and giving advice and help them plan, yeah. take some sample lessons. While that program was going, it was really good. Yeah. I remember you loved it. Yeah. You were all, and you were working with um, family friend Max Sargent yeah. and you were doing... He was riding to the frogs and the yes. wetlands and all that. And yeah, there was and a huge push in science from... And a lot of that memory. had flow-on effects like the travelling scholarships yep. were part of that program. And Max ended up going to America to study the wetlands. And then he came back and started working and they did wetlands at Commercial Road. And then he actually went and started to work with the university yeah. in Churchill. Yep. And then those students have gone on and some of those have got right into this environment yeah. and stuff and science. So one of the good things about science was that the number one, many of the kids who weren't engaged actually found a reason to do their English yeah. and their maths yeah. and, and to work in a group and work with other kids. And um, yeah, that was, that was a real eye-opener for me of how if schools are given the right formula of stuff, yeah. This stuff works, but it also helped me to understand how things operated at a regional level, yeah. but also a state level. And what was being said at a state level wasn't necessarily what was happening at a regional level. At a regional level, level, at yeah. a regional level yeah. and wasn't necessarily happening in the school. Because it gets, it probably got filtered through, but not all of it <coughs> filtered through. Is that is that sort of yeah, how well, you explain it? Yeah, well, it was like um, when I first went to regional office, I got told that my job was to work with the middle years school. And I just said, no, sorry, it's not. Oh, well, you're going to do what I say. And I thought, no. And I pulled out all the paperwork and we had a memorandum of understanding with schools and part of that was training and things like that. And I'd be in there so many days a a term and my uh, coordinator said, oh, I didn't realise about this. I said, well, that's why I said no to you. I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. What you want me to do, so. Was there any memories or any, yeah, any memories that stick out from the science and school days? How many years were you doing that? I did it for two years before, once again, until the funding ran out and then it all stopped. Um, The best memory I can have from that was one of the um, schools up in the east. And I used to go and do stuff with the kids, but then at night I'd do professional learning with the the teachers. So we had... um, we had these programs we ran like, you know, finding Nemo and it was all yeah. these science activities. So one night we're doing Harry Potter stuff and they I they remember had, that. Yeah. And they had these um, cars about the so- half the size of a mobile phone on ramps with rubber bands yeah. and they were pulling them and one of the t- one of the uh, graduate teachers almost took out the principal in the head. <laughs> and they just all laughed. Yeah. I said, This is science in action. Yeah. He yeah. should have been out of the way. So um, for me that was that was a real eye-opener. And we used to have a thing, get get kids hooked on science early. Because yep. when they're hooked on science, <laughs> yeah. it makes a huge difference. Yep. And you had those stickers, those bright yeah. red stickers. And there's, I remember I went to Churchill North. I was on placement yeah. there. And it had one of those stickers in mum's old room. Yes. And it said, get hooked on science. I was like, that's dad sticker. <laughs> and tell you the truth, I've still got two polo shirts that have got it on. Do you? Yes. And you had the mugs. I remember the mugs yeah, as well. Yeah, no, those aren't. Going back <laughs> to the Harry, I remember your science in school thing was heavily based around themes. Is that right? So you had, you were saying you had like um, the Finding Nemo stuff. 
the Harry yeah, Potter stuff. Yeah. I remember there was Beyblade stuff. Yeah, some of, some of that stuff was actually developed by project officers like me. Yep. The science in school professional development program was fairly lockstep for teachers. Okay. But then because schools had been in science in schools, they ended up being eligible to go into primary connections. Yeah. Which yep. was a, which is another program run by the government and um that is that's still going. Yeah, yep. And Our school bought a yeah. few boxes. Because like, you get the books and the resource boxes yeah. and yeah. And, it, and it's quite valuable and that was primarily written for those teachers who are a little bit reluctant to take science yeah. because they didn't have good memories of science when they were at yeah. school because they'd yeah. say, I'm no good at science. Yeah. And I used to say, can you drive a car? And they go, yes. I said, well, you're good at science. Yeah. Because you've got all that. And those primary connection books are great because they have all your literacy and your yeah. maths connections yeah. and everything to it. And any Talk teacher can follow step one, yep. step two. This is equipment list. Yep. So, but science has to be a priority, or the teacher has to be able to work out where the science fits into what they're doing. Yeah. Um, because at that stage, you had competition from the early years people yep. in Melbourne, and they were saying, "Oh, you can't do science in the literacy block." And I ran a program called Science in the Literacy Block. <laughs> and then when the early years people were getting um, shut down in Melbourne, I was actually there and they came over to talk to the science people and say, oh, we're really interested in this PD that you've been running on Science in the Literacy Block because <laughs> science was staying. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, people don't know what they don't know. So, so. so before like that big push in science and that initiative and yeah. all that, was science in the curriculum? Science has always been in the curriculum, but one of the things, like, like even now, your curriculum is so crowded that you've got to work out where it's going to fit yeah. for you. So if you're doing Australian history, what do you do? How does science move into that or yep. you take it as a separate subject? But if you look at all the scientific stuff that's been developed by Australians, that's where, to me, that's where it hooks, yeah. hooks in, like the cochlear ear designed by an Australian. What's that? You know, the cochlear ear that... Bionicle ear. Yes, yeah. yeah. Designed okay. Wi-Fi. All right. Designed by... I knew that. I knew yeah. that, actually. Um, you also have the refrigerator. The common the common everyday refrigerator, the way it now works, designed by an Australian. Oh, excellent. So, so there's all of this sort of stuff that we were first in. Yep. Um, so part of the science thing was hopefully that the um, kids will actually get into science... And then they become our scientists yeah. you know, for the next 20 years. Yeah. And if you're wondering what that sound is, my dog's just walked in. So you did the science stuff for two years yes. and then you then went back into a classroom. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what was the reason? Was that sort of, was it only a two year stint that you were meant to do or it was, was a- funding cut or did you just... Had you set it up enough and wanted to go back in the classroom? The funding had only been for three years, but someone did it the first year. Rob did it the first year. Oh, okay. Um, and then it was for two years. And then, if you like, I was on secondment for two years. And then, yeah, I had to go back to my normal position as a leading yep. teacher in the school. How did you find that? Well, I think um, for me, I really enjoyed working with the students again and yep. teachers. And I also... I think I had a bit more knowledge of how things work within the within the region, yeah. But also where how things get funneled down from the, the top down to the down to the bottom, yeah. If you like the classroom teacher delivering, 
stuff. So I enjoyed being back in an environment yeah. that I was really familiar with. Yeah. But I missed the freedom of, okay, I have to go to Buchan today, so yeah. I'll jump in the government car and off I go. And yeah. Miss that sort of stuff. Yeah, but you wouldn't have missed driving. The driving would have been... Uh, you driving, were up driving. early mornings and yeah. home late those years. So. Well, the driving was okay, but you had yourself. And yeah. that was... I miss the camaraderie more yeah. than a lot of things. Yeah. So you back in the classroom for a few years. And then my next memory of your sort of career was... I don't know if it's a soft spot, but the alternate. Yeah, the alternate. Was that yeah. what came next or was there something in between? No, the alternate came along and um, my principal at the time, he came along and he knew my interest in computers and he said, this position is basically designed yeah. for you. And, you know, he had to know about some stuff, so I had to go and read yeah. up on it and went for the interview. I was very surprised that I got it. There you got it. So you went back to region. Um, yes. And what was the alternate? The, al- what? Yeah. the alternate was two systems one was a student reporting system and the other one is if you like web-based learning yeah you know, like wikis and blogs and things like that and one and one of the issues they had was trying to get those two to talk to each other yeah which they were never designed to do because uh, they were made by oracle which is a big company around the world and then the, those two systems had to also talk to the administration cases stuff cases, in school yeah. so they had three things trying to talk to each other yeah and um one of the biggest issues we had was that they were, with the web-based stuff we we're trying to educate a lot of teachers including myself that wasn't doing a lot of web-based stuff so yeah. it was all foreign to them no put up the brick wall too hard too yeah. hard and then on the day they actually launched it across the state of course it crashed yeah was that just the servers was it they were trying they had their firewalls up yeah and but it just didn't cope with the number of people hitting it. And as alternate coaches, we told the powers that be that that was going to happen, yeah. but they didn't listen to and, us. Yeah. So that role, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you were an alternate coach, which essentially just meant you and your team of bandits, I'm going to call them, mm. went around and coached schools on yes how the alternate would work and how it would be used in their school in their schools yeah so we we were basically each school had to just had to nominate a, uh, an alternate team leader yep. and we work with that person and their job was to work with other other people yeah um but once again it depended on how much that person knew yeah exactly and i'm i'm imagining <laughs> that there would would have been a lot of resistance and a lot of sort of stuck in their old ways and not wanting to transition to the digital world because that was what 2010 2011 yeah well one of one of the things was is you're asking people to do something that they've never done before yeah. and try and cope with a if you like two websites that were in some ways clunky yeah and because they were designed for american schools and um, one of the things was is that the first when it crashed that just turned a lot of principals off, a lot of teachers off, yeah. and that was the end of it. I was lucky enough to be at a school after that that um, actually went through and started using the reporting stuff, yeah. and it was actually producing what it was supposed to yeah. produce until the government pulled the plug, so, being, being very narrow-minded. Yeah. Because I think if it had been, if what it was at the end was what it was at the start, people would have said, "This is fantastic." Yeah. Because you wouldn't have had to spend hours mid-year and at the end of the year yeah. writing reports. So hindsight's a beautiful thing, but do you think it was <clears throat> the crash or do you think it was that principals or whoever 
just didn't see the value of it or how it would work within their school. Do you think that was sort of a barrier as well? I think it was a combination of a yeah. whole things because yeah. you had, if you had, if you had a, a principal that was knew about websites and blogs and things like that, yeah. you'd be talking their language. But yeah. as soon as you say blog, people go what? So a lot of people were. So a lot of people still would have been manually writing reports, yes. yeah, paper yeah. reports. Because I remember Mum gave me a um, some of my old reports. And they were all paper. And yeah. I just think, crap, if that's what I had to do now, report writing would take me forever. So, yeah. It, yeah. Um, what I guess I'm trying to say is, is that what then, when the ultranet sort of died down yeah. and all that, is that when these sort of compasses and whatever these other platforms are that schools are now no. so heavily relied, Comp- relying Com- on? Compass was sort of, if you like, in some way a competition to the ultranet. Yeah. Um, but before that, they had a thing called, I think it was called Assessment Rider, where you typed it all in and things like that. One of the beauties of the, the alternate in its reporting phase was that you could set up a task that was related to a standard, and then you would write a comment about that, and um, that would automatically feed into a mid-year report. So yep. when it came to mid-year report, all the teachers had to do was write a general comment for the student. And then click whatever, and it would just. And all then the coordinator would right. do it, and think the only things that parents didn't like was that the when it reported out, you might have a comment about maths, a comment about science, a comment about English. Yeah. Um, but they were working on putting all the English ones together, the maths ones together. Yeah. So it became more like a traditional report. So many parents were saying, "We want stuff that's here and now." And the principal I had at the time when we were doing reporting, she used to say to parents. The report you get mid-year and at the end of year is like an autopsy. The alternate, the way you're feeding it in, it was like the, the checkup with your doctor. Yeah. Or your heart, your heart's got a bit of a movement, we'll have a test. Let's get the results of the test and then take some action. Yeah. And when you look at it that way, it just made so much sense. And when all this remote learning happened, I just shook my head. <laughs> I knew you would and, do. <laughs> and I said it would be perfect because it would have been developed so much now yeah. that teachers would say, okay, you've got grade three and they're doing this topic. Well, there's 50 other teachers across the state. You could all work together yeah. or there'd be units the of work and you could do it all, all yeah. set the tasks. And it didn't matter where the kid was because I had uh, two students who were travelling around Western Australia and they were doing assessment tasks with yeah. me from Western Australia. Yeah. And that worked really well, seamlessly. So, yeah. Was there plans for the alternate to go bigger and then, or actually, let me rephrase that. Was there like attendance and um, what Compass has in Chronicles and all that a part of the alternate as well? Or was alternate Atten- purely reporting? Attendance would have been in there yep. eventually. And um, I was a basically a computer teacher when it finished. And then out the school I was at went for Compass. And I could do things in the alternate that I couldn't do in Compass. Yeah. So Compass, to me at that stage, was useless. Yeah. All I did was just write general yeah. comments yeah. mid-year and end of year. So So those few years, how many years were you doing that? I did it for four years yeah, until the and, funding finished. And I remember that was probably one of the happiest times I'd seen you because you were working with teachers from all over the place mm. and your bandits just... You guys were just like kids, really, when we you were, caught up. Yeah, you had Christmas parties and, yeah, yeah it was it was a really happy... We, we were part. a team that was just very different from all the others. Yeah, and I'm sure it would have been the worst place in the world to be at 
the same pub or the same restaurant as you guys because mm. yeah now we had we and that's why we we got on so well there were some some other regions where the uh, coaches didn't even meet yeah they just did their own thing so and you know I worked from with some really talented people yeah. during that time you know we had some really good contacts like the head of cyber security at the of the education department oh, really? so you actually got to hear about what's going yeah. on yeah cool so when all that finished up um was that then i can't quite remember because there were some times where you were then trying or applying for principal jobs or assistant print mm. jobs was that before or after your i was doing that stint? beforehand okay um, basically we got because i stayed there for four years i was part of the regional staff i was yep. part of the payroll system and when the funding for the ultranet stopped all of us just got told you either find a job within 12 months or you are gone you'll yep. basically get the sack which was hard to take because I've been involved in a lot of initiatives. And at the time I felt, well, I know some teachers that have been in the same school for 30 years have done nothing, if you like, outrageous or nothing different and they've got job security and I've done all of this other stuff. And I just thought that that was so wrong. Yeah. Uh, But then I picked up a couple of acting principal jobs and they were good. Yeah. And then um, one school basically wrote a job description basically for me. Yeah. And that was Glengarry? Yeah. With and, family um, friend Sue? Yeah. And it was because uh, Sue had an agenda of getting the whole um, school ICT system up to standard because yep. it wasn't up to standard. And once we'd done that, we actually had someone from Melbourne come up and actually had a look and they said, how come your system works so well? And Sue just said, that guy over there used to be an alternate coach. Yeah. And he went, oh, right. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, yeah. But you but, loved you loved your time out at Glengarry. I I did. Um, and, you know, when we when we got... Before I got to Glengarry, I was, I was in a pretty dark place there yeah. for a while because being told that you are no longer required yeah, pretty in much, the education yeah. department, it's, yeah, it's a really, really for heavy blow. And that, at that time, you would have been like 30, 35 years in, wouldn't you? Yeah, so it was just, you know, my it was like my career was going to end and yep. I wasn't ready to end it. And you go, oh. Did you ever consider, I don't think I've ever asked you, did you ever consider just pulling the pin <clears throat> and retiring then? Or were you always wanting to get back into a classroom? I wanted to go and do something else. But uh, basically there for a while, I was seeing a psychologist to help yeah. me cope with it. Yeah. And they gave me some things that made me actually cope better. Yeah. Because I know I used to get angry quite quickly, yeah. which you would have discovered at home. <laughs> no, no. Um, so, and correct me if I'm wrong, but did you ever do the... You were doing the um, Stephanie Alexander Kitchen Gardens program at yeah, Glengarry. Did, that, Glengarry. did you start that or was that no, already no, going? No, that, that was already going. Yeah. So do you want to explain what, what's that? The um, Kitchen Garden program is about, if you like, growing your own vegetables and fruit um the kids being involved in that very heavily making garden beds doing all that sort of stuff then harvesting it and then actually cooking it um and the research showed even at that early stage with that program was that schools that have that program actually do better in english and maths and the children are more motivated Uh, but we had we had kids who were designing their own menus and um after i left i got invited back and i had to be a judge and the kids were doing um shiitake mushrooms and all the uh, bushes bakery was yeah, that part of or was that something completely different that was different but shiitake yeah. mushroom dumplings and things like that the kids were making um 
I used to do dumplings and stuff with the kids. Yeah. Um, all sorts of different things. And did you find that that program really engaged those sort of challenging behaviours? 99% of the yep. kids, yeah, you get a different behaviour in kitchen garden than you get in the in the classroom. It was... I wasn't the only teacher. I was actually led by um, a teacher by the name of Melissa and she was brilliant. Yep. She, but she we, was my Indonesian yeah, teacher at school. But we but we had the backing of the principal. And yeah. And it was really important. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was just... It was an eye-opener for me. Mm. I thought I wasn't going to like it, but I ended up loving it. And, uh, yeah, so that was that was just interesting just to do that bit. Yeah, and then I, you started cooking more around the house yeah, yeah. in that time as well. Yeah, trying different things out yeah. and seeing how easy it was to do dumplings and how easy it was to do certain things. I've, I have a lot of people that I know um, in whatever uh, different avenues and whatnot, and some of them you've actually taught or yes. you've been at the same school as them. And um, they always rave about you as a teacher. And even some people that I work with are like, oh, he was a, a lot of good fun. So sort of what, what was your approach to when you were in a classroom? I must, must admit, um, probably it was only the last 10 years of my teaching career that I really realised that you have to develop a, a positive relationship with all kids. Yep. And I don't know why it took me that long to work it out. But maybe I was just a product of the system and the schools I was at. One of the things was is that if you can make the kids laugh a few times during the day, even if they're laughing at you, yep. then your classroom's a happier place and it breaks it breaks the tension. And um, and particularly in my last few years, well, the kids always knew there was going to be a dad joke at the start of the lesson yep. and maybe one at the end. Have you got one for us? <laughs> uh, I, well, I know with the uh, with the younger kids when they were lined up and looking cute, I would just say to them, "I've seen better looking faces in a clock factory." <laughs> and then one of them would work out and they go, "Well, oh, that's not very nice." I said, oh, "I'm not being nasty about it. I'm just having fun with you." So the, the kids actually yeah. used to they got used to that that banter. And um, in my last few weeks, one of the grade two kids come up to me and said, "Mr. C, I've been thinking about this all year. Oh, I've seen more hair on a toothbrush," <laughs> and he just looked at me. <laughs> Yes, I've got him. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just trying to do that. Try and develop trust yeah. when you can. And then try, try and explain stuff to them of, look, uh, this is the decision. I don't like making this decision, but this is the decision I have to make by the rules that yeah. has actually been set up by this girl. Hmm. Trying to work with the parents when you, you could. And one of the, the things I, I learnt, and I wish I knew it a long time ago, was that... Um, when you ring a parent and say, look, I'm just letting you know that your, your child has done this today and this is the consequence. When you do that, sometimes you're talking about their thing. Yeah, the most important yeah, thing in their life. Yeah, the most important thing yeah. in their life. But it's, some people come from a background where they don't have a fancy car, they don't have a fancy house, and they don't go on holiday. So a holiday for them might be to have hot dogs on a Friday night. That might be their holiday. Yeah. So when you start saying your, your child isn't, hasn't been great... For some people, that'd be so, same as well. You know, your Lexus car sucks. Yeah. Like, and it, it took me a while to actually understand that. Then you have to have a different tact. You know, I just want to talk to you about your child, and then I'm not saying that they're a bad kid or anything, or what they've done is wrong. I'm just letting you know this is what's happened. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes the parents get very defensive, and others would like more information. Teaching's not an easy job. There's no, no. there's no right <laughs> or wrong. That was the thing. How, yeah. how did you, because I never saw that side, um, how did you deal with challenging parents when 
you might just be telling them that their child has done something that might have been a poor choice like and then they think oh no my child wouldn't do that and they like you say get defensive how did you have any strategies or any ways to deal with parents when they were like that depending if they come in really fired up and shouting and raising their voice and doing all that and belting the desk i just used to let them go until they got it all out of the system and then i go through and ask some questions so what are you really trying to tell me? I'm unhappy about what you said or when you're in a leadership position, what the teacher said. Yeah. And then you say, well, what do you think they said that? And actually do use the calm voice and start just asking lots of questions. Um, and then in the end, I'd use, in a leadership position, I'd usually say, now what you're telling me is you're not happy about the teacher. You're not happy about what they do. You're not happy about the school. And then sometimes I just do a bit of bluff and say, well, in that case, um, I'll pack your child's books up because you're telling me you want your child to go to another yeah. school. Do they ever call you on that bluff? <laughs> I, I called that bluff as an acting principal and yeah. the parent did leave and that was the best thing for that kid and it was the best thing for the school. Yeah. I thought I was going to get into trouble about that and the, my next in charge, he said, no, that's fine. You gave the parent a choice. And they, they made a choice. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Because the parent was saying, I don't want that teacher to have anything to do with my child. Well, you've got five or six teachers in yeah. the school. Impossible. I never want them to teach. That's not going to happen. I don't want you know that person to talk to my child when they're yeah. on the OG. And I just kept on saying, not going to happen. Not going to happen. Yeah. And you just you had to just keep your, your line of what was going on. Yeah. As a teacher, sometimes you um, you actually have to tell the truth. And yep. some, sometimes it's uncomfortable. I had one, had one lady who had a daughter and a son. I, I taught both of them. And both of them were very overweight, and some of the some of the kids um, would call them fat. And the parent was complaining. I said, "Look, I'm going to be brutally honest here, as if I was talking to you like my best friend." I said, "Look, I believe your children are overweight. I believe most people would call them fat." And I said, "Look at me, I'm fat." And she started to arc up, and I said, "Look." One of the things is, if something doesn't change within your children, they're either going to have to live with people saying not very nice things to them or they change their diet i said now this is long-term stuff but this is a lady who um would give her kids a big m strawberry milk and two chocolate donuts on the way to school and they'd eat that before they got to school so in the end she actually understood what i was on about she wasn't happy about it and i said look I have to be brutally honest. Like, I'm a dad. If my kids were like this, I'd yeah. be happy if someone told me what, what I'm trying to tell you. But I got on well with that parent, yeah. so I could say that. So, Did you ever approach, because obviously I try to build a relationship with parents. Yeah. Did you, like you were saying, it only took you the last 10 years or so to realise that a relationship with a student's number one. Yeah. Did you ever realize that with parents as well because obviously you sort of need to have oh, a working, I did, some I did sort towards of the end but some parents don't want a relationship yeah. with you you can't do anything about yeah. it um sometimes you would see the parent once a year and that might be for, be for the parent yeah. teacher interview or you may not see them at all or you might see them three times a week when they've got something to complain yeah. about <laughs> and you try you try and build a relationship yeah. when you can i um with some of the kids, oh, I used to ring ring the parents up, particularly the ones who would get into trouble, and I'd ring up the parent and just say, I just wanted to let you know your child's had a fantastic day today. And they'd say, I thought you are ringing me up to, to say what my child's done wrong. No, I thought it's about time i better let you know they've had a great <laughs> yeah. day today. Yeah, they might some, make yeah. up tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and some parents really appreciate that. Yeah. Like in my experience, parents love when yeah. you're 
contact them for something good rather yeah. than something bad, which I I probably don't do enough. Um, but it, it's it's a time thing. One of the um, things I really loved about the Ultranet was that you could actually attach videos to stuff. So um, and parents really enjoyed that. Like, uh, here's the video of your child finally cracking that yeah. that bit on on the computer. Yeah. And here's their celebration. Yeah. Because that's the stuff they didn't get to see. Yeah. Well, just to let you know, there are platforms like that these days. Well, there probably are. Yeah. And um, I was involved with something that was... Revolutionary. It was. was. Well, it was for those days, but it's also allowed other things to come in because some people will still compare to the Ultranet and how it didn't work the first time around and things like that. a few people have told me that. Yeah. <laughs> I say, well, you you go tell my dad that and have that conversation with him. Yeah. So teaching, you were teaching for forty plus years. Um, what besides the obvious uh, digital age diff, uh, changes, what's sort of a big change that uh, that you've noticed? Because I remember when you were at Churchill North in the bad old days. There was a milk bar across the road yeah. and kids were allowed to just walk off at lunchtime and snack time and go get yeah. stuff from the milk bar. You would absolutely not ever be allowed to do that these days. Uh, is there any changes that you've I, seen? I, I think um, they still expect teachers to know too much. I was at, um, While I was at my last school, Glengarry, I was in awe of the young teachers. You know, they were, Some of them were only three years out, yeah. but they knew more at th- three years out than I probably knew at 23 years out because yeah. what they were doing, they were doing the drilling down to the fine stuff or as um, one wise person once said, they're peeling away the, the layers of the onion to actually get to what the core is. Yeah. And they would, they'd really uh, dissect teaching and, and things like that and do lots more sharing. I think children, are prob- some children are probably more challenging because some of the kids we you're working with today have been affected in the womb by alcohol, drugs, trauma, yeah, whatever. See um, some pretty ugly stuff as well. Yeah, and I think um, we're more aware of kids who we, we look and observe students more. Um, whether we've got tools to actually help them is a, a different thing. Yeah. Because what we still have the same pattern with the education department of they've got a bright idea, they'll give you some funding, and then when the funding's finished, schools are on their own and they might want to carry it through but i think the core still is is that kids want to be happy at school they want to have friends and they want to understand why they're doing stuff i think they're more aware of the world but i think they know less about the world particularly about their own country of where they've got to and all the different stories behind it Um, because i remember showing the grade five and sixes uh, um, just a map of the world with no countries names on it i was getting them to actually point to things now this is grade five and six and you say where's (laughs) africa and they point to japan and i thought hold on now (laughs) that's me (laughs) one of one of the things is is that the world has changed and you can get that information quickly however i keep on used to say to students once upon a time on Wikipedia, it said Michael Jackson was born on Mars because Wikipedia was that uh, yeah. three-way type stuff. The kids have to wade through a lot, but they, they still need a teacher who can guide them, but also, I suppose, get them thinking yeah. in a way that's going to go through them for the rest of their life. Yeah. And um, it's very pleasing when you see some of your ex-students doing some, some exciting stuff. Yeah, I know. That, that must really make you feel proud because I know there were times growing up where... 
we'd be in the supermarket or we'd be yeah. in Mid Valley or wherever and people would come up to you and be like and they'd be grown ups and they'd yeah. be like, Oh, hey Mr. Curl or hey Mr. C and yeah. it's like they'd still call you that for starters. And then we'd walk away and the fact that you'd still remember some of them, not yes. all of them, sometimes you'd be like, I have no idea who that yeah. is. But those ones that you do remember and the ones that more importantly remember you and the impact that you had on them, I think, yeah, why we do this. It's a hard one because there are some kids who re- remember you for all the great stuff that you did with them and there's some kids that remember you for the not-so-great stuff yeah. you did with them. But some of that's got to do with them, but it's also got to do with the circumstances at the yeah. time. And you go, okay, radio, yeah, that's that's what it is. But um, I remember, you remember when we went to Western Australia and we went to Exmouth and there was a girl... Thomas. yeah. There was a girl in the supermarket on the cash register and I just looked at her and the eyes looked very familiar. And um, yeah, she ended up being an ex-student from Churchill Primary School and she remembered me uh, because she was smiling at me and I'm thinking, is she reacting? Does she think I'm staring at her or what? But uh, (laughs) come to the register, hi, Mr. C. And you go, okay, yeah. Yeah. But um, Small world, wow. I don't remember that. Yeah, I I do. And... um, when I first got to Glengarry, they, um, one of the kids took home the newsletter and showed it to their mum. He said, oh, well, these are the teachers and there's Mr. Kerwood. And the mum just said, oh, that won't be the same Mr. Kerwood that taught me because he's ancient. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've taught, so I've taught some kids yeah. and you've taught their parents and their yeah. parents have come in before they've met me. And I think just looking at their facial expression when they yeah. first see me, I think they think that you're the Mr. Kill that their son yeah, or yeah, their daughter's yeah. going to teach. So. And that's, yeah. Yeah. But it, it is interesting because um, going back years ago, your mother was known as the wife of Jeff Kerwood because, <laughs> because, because yeah. mum had been off, you know, raising yeah. many kids. And then over the last few years, mum got to be known very well by yeah. a lot of people. So I was the husband of yes. Kathy Kerwood. Yes, and you were you were the husband yeah. for a bit there. Mum was the... Yeah. Mum was the one working working her butt off. Um, speaking of work-life balance, uh, you have raised four kids. Um, I think you've done a great job with the four kids. Um, was there ever patches or stages where work life or work and raising kids was really challenging? Like they just, I know there's not enough time in the day for myself. I can't imagine how it would have been working um, in pretty high leadership positions and trying to raise four kids as well. Was there ever challenges with that? I think one of the things is you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And your sisters are going through that now of having a baby and you don't know what you don't know, so you just do what you do. And when we first started having children, that was like mum and I, we just did what we did with your elder sister. Mum would stay home, look after her, and I... I'd come home and do what I could, but I was a young dad. I'd, I didn't know everything yeah. and know a lot more now. Um, but you, you did what you did and yeah. you did what you did to survive. Like if you're up at two o'clock in the morning walking a baby around the house and you've got to get up at seven to go yeah. to work and be on top of the world as a teacher, you just, you just have to do it. Yeah, and one thing you used to always say to me was that family comes first and... It didn't matter what was going on with the family or what was going on at work. If something family-related popped up, it was always that was priority. So, And you did what you could yeah. at the time with the resources that you had. And that's 
I know when you had me do your interview, sometimes the parents would say, oh, I'm trying as hard as I can. And I'd just go, fantastic. Yep. That's all, that's all you got. You know, that's all you can do. That's all you can do. And it, everything's easier in hindsight. I wish I could have done some things differently it's as a parent thing. now. Yeah. I would, I look at everyone now, you four kids, and I'd say, gee, I wish I would have spent more time with them when they were a lot younger. Because we were cuter. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but it, but it, is, it is like like that and you go oh, okay well I can't change the past but yeah. that's why we spoil Phoebe so much yeah, yeah yes you do <laughs> she's <laughs> because yeah. like I'm, I'm trying it again like yeah. uh, I'm having my second chance so yeah. it's yeah no the, the work life stuff is really hard but when we first started teaching you had to prove you were ready for the next level before you actually went up like you had a like a tier system like you yeah. make it easy level one two three four so if you're in level one, you basically had to do a lot of stuff, be doing a lot of stuff of level two, and then someone came in and inspected you and said, yep. yes, they can do it. They're ready to move to the next level. There wasn't this jumping tears and... Um, no, like you, you could actually still be a level one teacher at that stage. Yep. And um, it all had to do with salary and all that sort of stuff. But you had to go for promotion and all that sort of stuff. Whereas now you have your reviews... And I don't know, we don't know which is the better system. I've got no idea. I think there's flaws in, in all of them, yeah. but I don't want to talk politics. <laughs> there's too much in teaching as it is. Uh, let's talk about retirement. So you retired, what year? 2016, 2015, maybe, I want to say. Maybe? Am I Pro- about, probably around 26, then? 20, end of 2015, yep. early 2016. Yeah, I tell by the age of the cars. And if I... <laughs> And if I remember correctly, you retired before mum. Mum taught for a year or so afterwards. Is that right? Yeah, I was I was very lucky because I had a very understanding principal. And when we're doing the annual review the year before I retired, she said, okay, now what do you want to do? Like, you know, where do you want to finish finish off? And I said, look, I'd, I'd really like to finish at the end of next year, but I'd really like the opportunity to transition to retirement because I didn't want to go cold turkey because I thought that would drive you nuts. Yeah, drive yeah. You nuts. So as it as it worked out, miraculously there was a two day a week position at the school <laughs> the next year after I retired and I applied for that and I magically got it. Uh, so I was I went from working five days a week and having two days off to working two days a week and, and having five, five days, days off. off. Yep which allowed me to start looking at other things I could do in my retirement. And at that stage, we were building a house in Inblock. So it also allowed me to do stuff. So with, with retirement, when you're a teacher, you're a part of a tribe because you're a teacher, primary teacher in your case. Then you've got your school and you've got your year level. You've got your team. Yep. So you, you have all these different tribes you're part of. When you retire full stop, you're part of the retirement tribe and yep. that's it. So... That's why I'm, I'm involved in um, one sporting club and I had two volunteer positions just to take up the time. So yeah. now I'm part of three tribes. I don't know if lawn bowls is a sport, but I'll, I'll give you that. It, it is. <laughs> well, <laughs> I have to be double vaccinated to play bowls this season. We're not getting into that either. More than AFL footballers have to no, do. No, they, they do. They do now. But they they can came tu- out. And they can they... turn around and say, I don't want to at yeah, the moment. Okay. Um, I remember when you retired or before you started working at, uh, not working, volunteering your time at yeah. the Vietnam Vets, um, I remember you said to me that 
And it's something that I've never really considered. You said that you were filling out the form and it said qualifications. Yes. And I remember you saying to me that you were thinking, I have all these qualifications in teaching, such as uh, leading teacher, um, all these uh, PDs and qualifications. But at the end of the day, you could only write educational teaching because it's sort of all just jumbled into one. I had Bachelor of Education, First Aid Level 1. Yep. And then I had four years in the Army Reserve. Yep. And the four years in the Army Reserve had more sway than the other stuff. Yeah. And that actually taught me then in the real world, some of, some of the stuff that you did in teaching was necessary, but it was very specific to that area, probably like a lot of other professions. Yeah. Um, but all the, you know, 10 week PD stuff you did and all yeah. of that. Once you leave. That's, no one cares. Yeah, yeah. No one cares. So that was, that was a bit of a rude shock. Yeah. And I remember you were a bit taken back by, I remember you telling me that. Yeah, well, you know, I'd got to, within the school system, if you like, I got to number three within the school. Yeah. I did some acting roles as number two and a couple of acting roles as number one. So then that all stops and you go, now I'm number none. Yeah. Then it was just... <laughs> You're number two in the house behind yeah, mum. Yeah, yeah. So that was, that was, yeah, a bit of a rude shock, but yeah. it just gave me a bit of reality check. Yeah, a bit of perspective about it that it's just teaching isn't it like yeah but it's it's the main well for me it was the main part of my life from 1974 yeah. to like 2015 16. Well, you've been a teacher more than half your yeah. life but i've done a lot of different roles yeah. and, and i think that kept me going just different roles different schools and i think i always had something to hang my hat on yeah. every time i every school i was at there's something to hang my hat on yeah. and that would be my advice to young teachers find something to hang your hat on whether it's the School musical, yeah. Whether it's you're going to run junior school council at every school you go to, or whatever you go to school to do your your base stuff, but then you got this other stuff because that's your that's your um, that's your extra. That's that's if you like yours. Yeah. And all sure would have learnt that much earlier on because yeah. some of my first years of teaching the schools I was at, I wasn't doing wasn't doing much extra. I was just doing yeah. my classroom job. Yeah. Because in those days, when you're a beginning classroom teacher, that's what you had to concentrate yeah. on. And now they throw responsibilities and roles left, right and centre, regardless yeah. to where you yeah. are. Because jobs have got to be done. But yeah, it is. It's an interest, interesting career it now. Is. Was, was retirement scary? Or was the prospect of the unknown after retirement scary for you? Like I know you said you transitioned, but yeah. still going from two days to no days in a school, was that... The it, idea it, it, it did feel strange, but luckily I'd been prepared by a friend of ours whose uh, two brothers had retired and they went cold turkey. Like they just retired at the end of the year and laid on the couch for a couple of months and both fell into depression because they were someone, like both of them were in charge of small school. Yeah. And then they were no, no one, one, but then, then one started up their own business. The other one started doing a, a lot of work for the CFA and that sort of changed how... Their, their mental state so yeah. and you have made a lot of friends in teaching as well growing up a lot of your or a lot of mum and your friends were teachers by associates yeah, yeah. well it's it's all all consuming but there, there are people i got on really well with in teaching and all that sort of but like you don't see them anymore yeah or you might bump into them the street you have it yeah still have a chat 
And the funny thing is, is that most teachers feel as though they're, they're a great teacher. I thought, I look back now and I think I was, I was okay. Yeah. I could do some things really well and other things. I was just the pit set. Like, you know, and, <laughs> and I can, I can say that now. Yeah. But each person that you come in contact with in teaching, kids, parents, and other teachers will all form their own opinion about you by how you conduct yourself, yeah. what you say, and whether they agree with what you're doing and what you say. So, um, And that's the same with kids. You have some kids that might end up thinking you're the worst teacher in the entire yeah. world, and others think you're the bee's knees. Yep. And you did the same thing with each kid. What oh. things did you think you didn't teach or do too well? Music. <laughs> music. Did you ever but, have to teach music? Yes. Um, and usually I, I did a... Um, in the old days, we played a tape and the kids sang a song and that was music. But then towards the end, I started to do musicals with the whole school. Yeah. I saw the value in it. And that was uh, where some kids got to, to shine. Probably, probably the, the area that... I now realise I, I didn't know a whole heap about was actually English. Because when, when I was training and the teachers I had, they said, oh, you just grab grab this book and you photocopy this black line master and things like that. Whereas now, in the last few years at Glengarry, I saw them actually saying, okay, we're going to do this activity. We're doing this activity for this reason. They were planning together. Whereas yeah. initially, when I first started teaching, you did all your own planning. Yeah, I just feel as though that, that's just something that I wasn't great yeah. at. And I remember I asked you when you were in year 12 about a certain type of text, which was persuasive persuasive text. text. And you rattled it all off. And I remember you saying when you run out of arguments, you'll take the character of the... (laughs) <laughs> of the person and I thought that's what, what they <laughs> that's what politicians what they, do but that's what they did to politicians yeah. or um, and I thought gee you know you know, you knew more than I did about persuasive text but in the way you explained it I thought that was yeah. the, probably the one good thing I was that able to do in English you were in school. still good at arguing <laughs> and um, that, that that's one of the things I think teachers by and large my experience the last few they know more. They've, you know, mm. they've drilled down a lot, and they, we used to use that term quite a lot at one school. And I said, just remember, if you drill down too far, you get gas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, which is just hot air, basically. And uh, they used to look at me and say, "What are you on about, Jeff?" I said, "Try not to think about it too much. Try and keep things simple so that you actually understand. And then when you've actually got that understanding, you can then." Drew down to the next Yeah, level. you get a different level of understanding yeah. or a higher level of understanding, if yeah. you like. One of the things about teachers is that when you actually say something, quite often they're processing what you're saying before the after your first sentence yeah. rather than listen to your whole to your whole thing. Yeah, listening to reply rather yeah. than listening. Yeah, yeah. yeah but that's, that's part of the beast. Yeah. And me, like being a male and being a certain age and being slightly ADHD, I would lose concentration. Do you say uh, you're ADHD? Partly. I've never seen that side oh, of you. Partly. And um, I would lose concentration after about seven minutes. So I need a different yeah. stimulus. And uh, I only ever come across one presenter who actually just said, right, I can see there's so many males in the audience. I'm going to give you a new stimulus every seven minutes so I don't lose you. <laughs> yeah. I thought, yes, here's someone who understands the male mind. That's what I need. That's exactly yeah. what I need. And and that's that's one of the things, you know, uh, know your audience. Yeah. And that's the same with students. Know know them if you know, we've had you've had kids that have been basically caged up for yeah. X amount of time while just like 
some little dog that I know who got out today. Yes. They will just run right for a while yep, and then they they'll, then they'll settle, settle and then down. And they'll come back. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a really good place to end it there. But before I let you go, is there any last pieces of advice? I know you like giving advice. Maybe not to me, but maybe just as, as a general. Don't. Well, for teachers, in general, don't be afraid to try things. If there's an initiative out there somewhere or a pilot program somewhere and you can convince yourself it's well worth your students being involved, go for it because you're going to come across stuff that you, you may not come across ever again and that you'll hear things and get to meet people and stuff like that. And uh, I was lucky enough to, to fly to New Zealand and fly to Canberra yeah. and do a whole heap of different stuff, try to learn Japanese by satellite, <laughs> which cost $1,000 an hour and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And you go, yeah, I'm glad I did it. It yeah. was hard work, but it was just, yeah, don't be afraid to try things. Yeah. Um, but you have to be in an environment that's going to let you try something, but then, if you like, not succeed. Yeah. And uh, I had a one very wise principal. He's, we used to go to him with ideas the whole time and he'd say, go for it, Jeff. When you finished it, come and talk to me and we'll see what you've learned. Yeah. Sometimes it was, I'm no good at organisation. That might have been my learning and that's fine. Yeah. He was quite happy with that. Yeah. As long as you're constantly learning. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having a chat. You had a very interesting story about teaching and um, you've done, like I said earlier, you've done absolutely everything. So thanks for coming on. <laughs>